Warning, the following episode contains stories of terror, violence, and horror that will chill you to the bone. This show contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. If you find yourself easily offended, please find another podcast to listen to. Otherwise... Welcome. Diane and Avery were a young couple in their late twenties, bound together by their love for spending their parents' money, taking long road trips, camping in their van, and social media. These adventures allowed them to forget for a time their mundane, everyday lives. Diane Harlow stood atop a rocky outcrop, her lean, athletic silhouette and stupid haircut framed against the horizon. The wind tousled her sun-streaked hair as she surveyed the vast expanse of wilderness spread out before them. She took a deep breath savoring the crisp air that seemed to cleanse her lungs of the stale city atmosphere. Hard to believe we found this place just by browsing online, huh? Avery Mitchell said, his voice tinged with wonder as he too drank in the view. Totally worth it, Diane agreed, their eyes scanning the landscape for other hidden trails they could explore. I love how we can find these places nobody else knows about. Makes me feel like we're pioneers or something. As darkness began to envelop the landscape, Diane and Avery continued their journey into the heart of Death Valley. The open road ahead symbolized more than just a physical path. It represented the potential for transformation. A future that defied the limitations of their parents. And with each passing mile, they moved closer to the lives they yearned for. United by their dreams and the unbreakable bond they shared. The sun dipped below their horizon, casting eerie shadows across the barren landscape of Death Valley. Diane's grip on the steering wheel tightened as they listened to the True Crime Podcast, Anthology of Horror, hosted by the enigmatic Springheel Jack. The chilling tales of unsolved mysteries and spine-tingling occurrences seemed to grow more harrowing with each passing mile. Can you believe these stories? Avery asked, his voice wavering slightly. Terrifying, Diane admitted, their eyes scanning the desolate surroundings as if expecting some phantom menace to emerge from the gloom. Inwardly, they questioned the wisdom of delving into such dark subject matter while traversing one of the most inhospitable places on earth. Despite their growing unease, the couple found themselves unable to turn off the podcast. It was as if they were mesmerized by the haunting tales, drawn deeper into the abyss of fear that lurked in the recesses of their minds. As the final minutes of the podcast played out, 
each grisly detail seemed to seep into the very fabric of the van, filling the air with an oppressive weight that threatened to crush them both. As the last eerie strains of the outro music faded away, Diane glanced at Avery, their gazes locked in silent acknowledgement of the terror that had taken root. Okay, let's find somewhere to camp for the night, Diane said, the words barely audible above the pounding of her own heart. Pulling off the road, they maneuvered the van onto a secluded patch of the desert floor. As the engine died, an unsettling silence descended upon them, amplifying the sense of isolation that enveloped their makeshift camp. Let's check the back, Avery murmured, his hand lingering on Diane's before breaking away to slide open the van door. The interior of the van was dimly lit, casting shadows that seemed to dance along the walls. As they settled into the makeshift bed, Avery moved closer to Diane, his eyes searching for reassurance and comfort in the face of the fears that had been stoked by the podcast. Diane, I... He began leaning in for a kiss. Wait, Diane whispered, placing a hand on his chest to halt his advance. I'm sorry, Ave. I'm just still sore from my date with Michael. You know we're in an open relationship, but tonight isn't the night. Avery nodded, disappointment mingling with understanding in his eyes. He scooted back, respecting her boundaries while still offering his presence as a source of solace amidst the darkness that surrounded them. The next morning, as they continued driving, Diane noticed an unmarked dirt trail veering off from the main road, disappearing into the parched landscape. Their sense of adventure peaked. They felt an irresistible pull towards the mysterious path. Slowing down the van, Diane turned to Avery with a mischievous gleam in her eyes. Hey, what do you think about checking out this trail? It's not on the map. It could be fun to explore, Diane suggested, her heart pounding with anticipation. Avery looked up from his phone, squinting at the unassuming trailhead. The narrow path seemed to snake its way through the rocky terrain, flanked by gnarled, twisted bushes and the occasional cactus. Something about the path felt almost otherworldly as if it existed solely for those daring enough to venture beyond the well-trodden roots of the park. Could be a cool spot for some more unique photos, Avery mused, already imagining the likes and comments their social media posts would receive. Let's do it. As the trailhead came into view, Diane slowed the van to a crawl, scanning the area for a suitable parking spot. The ground was uneven and rocky, making it difficult to find a secure place to leave their car. Maybe try over there, Avery suggested, pointing to a small patch of sand in the shade of a twisted Joshua tree. I know how to park, okay? Don't mansplain to me, Diane snapped, while carefully steering the vehicle into position. 
With a satisfying crunch of gravel under the tires, they parked and turned off the engine. They stepped out of the van and took a moment to breathe in the dry, desert air, feeling the heat envelop them like a suffocating blanket. The sun cast long shadows on the barren landscape as they prepared their backpacks for the hike ahead. Looks like we've got about three miles to the waterfall, Avery said, checking his map. Straight shot through this valley here. Lead the way, Diane replied, shouldering her pack and falling into step behind Avery. The dry wind whispered through the sparse vegetation, carrying with it a faint scent of dust and desolation. Diane and Avery continued down the trail, the unsettling feeling of isolation gnawing at their nerves. Did you hear that? Diane asked quietly, pausing mid-step to glance around nervously. Probably just the wind, Avery reassured, though he couldn't keep the unease from seeping into his voice. Diane shuddered, pulling her backstrap, backpack straps nervously. I don't like this, Avery. It feels like like we're being watched. They walked in silence for a while, both lost in thought. The sun had almost completely disappeared now, leaving behind a deepening twilight. The three miles stretched out before them, punctuated by the occasional gnarled tree or rocky outcropping. Hey, Diane, Avery said, breaking the silence. Do you ever wonder if we're being too naive? I mean, we love exploring, but maybe it's time we start taking more precautions. Diane sighed, not wanting to acknowledge Avery's point. We are not having this conversation again. I don't want to have a gun anywhere near me. They kill people. Avery nodded, understanding the conflict within Diane. I get it, but maybe we can get some mace or something. Just a thought. Or maybe you could learn to fight. You know Michael is a Muay Thai fighter. I don't think he would need a gun to feel safe, Diane said cruelly. Avery shrugged and looked at his feet and remained quiet as they both continued the hike back to the van. Diane and Avery continued their trek back to the van, letting their conversation about criminal activities in Death Valley and Diane's other romantic partners fade into silence. The twilight deepened, and a chill crept into the air as they walked on. Suddenly, a rustling sound caught their attention, and both Diane and Avery stopped in their tracks. From the shadows emerged a massive figure, causing them to gasp involuntarily. The man was huge and broad, with a long beard that fell to his chest. He was covered in diabolical tattoos and carried a hunting knife and a rifle, making him a menacing sight. Whoa! Avery whispered, gripping Diane's hand tighter. Hey there, the man called out in a low, gravelly voice. He moved closer, allowing them to see the intricate details of the ink covering his arms and neck. Name's Damien, the man said, his gaze locked onto the two hikers. You folks enjoying the sights? 
Uh, yeah, Diane replied hesitantly, trying to sound friendly despite the unease rippling through her. We, we just came from the waterfall. Beautiful place. Indeed, Damien agreed, his intense, unblinking eyes never leaving theirs. But beauty can be deceiving, don't you think? Avery swallowed hard, sensing the hidden meaning behind his words. He exchanged a nervous glance with Diane, who tried to focus on anything other than the hunting knife hanging from Damien's belt or the rifle slung from his shoulder. Anyway, we should get going, Diane said quickly, hoping to end the encounter as soon as possible. Nice to meet you, Damien. Likewise, Damien replied, his voice flat and devoid of warmth. As Diane and Avery turned to leave, they couldn't help but feel a sense of foreboding settling in their chests. The ominous presence of Damien lingered in their minds, casting a shadow over the remainder of their hike. As they walked, Diane couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. She tried to focus on the beauty of Death Valley, but the image of Damien's sinister tattoos, the fiery pentagrams, the serpents, the ancient sigils, haunted her. In the back of her mind, she knew that Damien represented the darker side of the world, and it terrified her. Diane and Avery, upon returning home, found a downward spiral of fear and madness, leading them on a path filled with chemical dependency that ultimately led to both their untimely deaths. The only thing that hinted at the truth of what happened was Diane's cryptic diary of their ordeal. Yes, welcome to a very special episode of Demented Darkness. I am your host tonight as we enter into the dark places of Death Valley again. What you heard at the beginning of the program was just an abridged version of the original story from fellow creator spring Jack over on Anthology of Horror Podcast. If you'd like to go listen to that entire episode, it's entitled The Man from Death Valley. I listened to that and was inspired to write a sequel. Submitted for your approval, I give you Return to Death Valley. Part 1. 
Michael set down Diane's journal after reading it for the hundredth time. I just don't know. I don't get it, Fiona. Why would such a beautiful, intelligent, and independent woman just stop living? It's almost like her spirit died on that damned road trip. It just took a while for her body to catch up. Michael shook his head sadly. Fiona grabbed the journal and waved it in front of Michael's face. The answer has to be in this book somewhere. She had to mention something that would explain why she killed herself. We've been reading and rereading this for over a year and still no definitive reason why. All she did was drone on and on about how she wished her whiny bitch of a boyfriend was more like you, a, quote, real man, and how if he was, if he was, maybe that creepy guy would have just left them alone. How things would be different. Fiona slammed the book on the table with a clatter. Michael walked over to the full-length mirror hung in the living room of his one-bedroom apartment. He studied himself for a long moment, turning right and then left. He pulled off his vintage Soundgarden t-shirt and started flexing in various poses. People underestimate Michael. His intimidating five-foot-six frame, his trim but strong physique. They looked at him like another sheep. However, he wasn't a sheep. He was a dragon. He was an alpha. With one last peek at the mirror, he walked over to his yoga mat, selected two bright pink five-pound dumbbells from a table containing an assortment of small dumbbells, resistance bands, and ankle weights. He began to do various yoga poses while holding the weights at various angles. He had gone to two yoga classes in the park and thought they were being stupid by not adding some strength training to the exercises. Fiona rolled her eyes and said, You really think you being there would have scared some thug criminal in Death Valley? She barely suppressed a giggle. Michael stopped what he was doing, neatly set the dumbbells back in their places and turned to face Fiona. An icy glint ran through his muddy brown eyes. He reached up and tightened his man bun of stringy dishwater blonde hair with one hand and twisted his handlebar mustache with the other. What the fuck is that supposed to mean, Fiona? He drew out her name with a menacing growl in his voice. What exactly the fuck is that supposed to mean? The rage was building inside. I'm a motherfucking alpha, you got that bitch? He was nearly shouting. Fiona gasped. I, I didn't mean anything by it. I was just saying, she trailed off looking at the floor. Quicker than she could blink, Michael closed the distance between them, grabbed a handful of her pink, blue, and purple hair, and slapped her hard across the cheek. No fucking bitch-ass cunt talks to me like that and gets away with it. Now you fucking say it, or I'm not gonna stop. He hit her again, this time with the back of his hand, his silver rings leaving red welts on her cheek. I'm, I'm sorry, she pleaded through teary eyes. I didn't mean anything by it. That's, he slapped again. Not, again, the backhand. It, he balled up his fist and punched her hard in the stomach. 
You woke the dragon, now you need to deal with it. He poorly quoted Game of Thrones, his favorite show. Fiona's nose was bleeding by this time, and if anything, it seemed to excite Michael even more. You know what you need to do. You fucking know. He continued raining blow after blow. In between sobs, Fiona finally uttered, You are the Alpha. Abruptly, he stopped, panting from the exertion. That's right. I'm the Alpha. Now, how does a whore like you take care of her Alpha? He released his grip and Fiona submissively removed her clothes. What followed was only slightly less violent than the beating that she had just taken. But she was used to it. She just went somewhere else mentally when he got like this. When he was finished, he told her to clean herself up, slipped his clothes back on, and headed for the door. Deep down, he knew women loved it when a real man took charge the way he did. He pulled out his wallet and threw two $20 bills at her. I, I gotta clear my head. Have this mess cleaned up by the time I get back. With that, he turned on his heels and left the apartment. Fiona balled up on the couch. She knew he would be gone a few hours at the bar drinking with his college buddies and bragging about what an alpha he was. She let the emotions all out of her. Fear, anger, hatred for Michael. Sometime later, after she had cleaned up the blood and semen off the floor and the furniture, taken a cold shower and had a glass of dark red wine, she heard the key fumbling in the lock. As she was getting up to open the door for him, he finally got the lock open and burst into the room. He smelled of cheap malt liquor. He was probably pounding one of those hard seltzers he was so fond of. And something else. His eyes were bloodshot. He had taken his hair out of the bun and it hung in greasy strands nearly to his narrow shoulders. His normally neat and tidy mustache was all messed up and crooked. I've got it, he explained. I know exactly what we're going to do about Diane. Fiona had heard this before. He always had some grand scheme on how best to deal with the loss of his side piece. Nothing ever came of it. He would get an idea while out binge drinking, come home, ramble on and on about it until he passed out. Then the next morning it was back to the same old shit. She looked at him waiting for the insane rambling that was sure to follow. We are going to Death Valley, he proclaimed proudly. We're going to find that desert rat motherfucker that literally scared Diane to death. And then what, Fiona asked. Tell him not to be lurking around scaring tourists? For a second, she thought she overstepped, but he was too wound up in his delusional fantasy to notice. He waved his hand dismissively. No, no, we're going to kill that bastard. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life. Jesus said that. So that's what we are going to do. The look of horror on Fiona's face made him giggle a little bit. What? I could beat the shit out of him. 
I know I can. I'm a Muay Thai fighter, remember? Fiona kept her face calm, but inwardly she was laughing. His Muay Thai fighter training consisted of one introductory lesson of Tai Chi at the city park three years ago. He was picking up trash as part of his community service in order while on probation. He ditched his reflective vest and stood in the back mimicking the Tai Chi poses. However, she knew that the best way to deal with this was just to agree and smile and go along. He would forget all about it in the morning. Okay, she said. Let's do it. You can show him who's boss. That's right. I'll show that fucker exactly who he's dealing with. I'm going to make him beg me for the end. I'm going to torture him like we've been tortured every day since Diane's death. Hello, we here at the Anthology of Horror Podcast Network would love to take a minute and welcome our newest program to the network. It's called Crypt of Horrors, hosted by Wolf Dan. And every show, he explores different realms within the horror world, whether it be breaking down a classic horror movie, talking about upcoming horror events, horror video games, anything horror-related, Dan's talking about it. You should definitely check it out. I know it's available on Spotify right now, so all y'all listeners out there on Spotify, go check out Wolf Dan and his show, Crypt of Horrors. Now let's get back to Return of Death Valley. Part 2 Fiona was driving the Prius south on I-5 while Michael slept in the passenger seat. They had been on the road for a few hours and were well into California. It was such a beautiful drive, the summer sun bright. She reached up and gently rubbed the bruise on her left eye. Oh well, he could have done worse. He has in the past. She thought back to them preparing for the trip. Should we see if we can use the white whale? Fiona asked. The white whale is what they called Diane's parents' sprinter van. No, we aren't going on vacation, Michael snapped. We are going down, taking care of business, and coming back. The van will just slow us down and cost more. But won't we be more comfortable? Michael's backhand caught her by surprise. Don't fucking back, talk back, whore. We are taking the Prius and that's final. So they crammed their bags in the car. On the way out of town, Michael stopped at Walmart and purchased some pepper spray, duct tape, rope, and a large hunting knife. This is sufficient for the task, in his opinion. Where are we? Michael suddenly said in a groggy voice. The sudden question brought Fiona back to the present. Somewhere in California, heading south, just like you told me. He scanned the navigation on the dashboard. We should be farther, he grumbled. Why are you driving so slow? 
We need to get down there. Michael, we are going on a trip to capture and kill someone. We don't need to get a speeding ticket to lead back to us, Fiona said in a calm voice. Yeah, but I want to get down there. Pull into the next place. I'm hungry. Then I will drive. We need to make up some time. The stop for food was a disaster. Michael was, Michael was extremely rude to the waitress because they didn't serve Voss water in the restaurant. What kind of backwoods shithole doesn't serve Voss? Michael said from under his mask. He was extremely nervous about catching COVID. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sure they have it in the convenience store across the street, the waitress replied. I'm not in the convenience store now, am I? I only drink Voss. It's healthier. You expect me to drink tap water? You probably get it from the city, right? He looked at the waitress expectantly. Sir, our water is fine. It gets filtered in-house through our water softener. This is fucking bullshit. Whatever happened to the customer is always right. He looked up at her smugly. By this time, Michael had began to cause a scene. The manager was approaching from behind him. Sir, you and your friend are going to have to leave. We are a family restaurant, and your use of profanity is not acceptable. Michael slammed his hand on the table, clattering the silverware. What the hell, you inbred asshole? It is a free fucking country. That may be, sir, but there are children here that don't need to hear your vulgarity. The manager said calmly, you need to leave now. Michael exclaimed, fuck this place. Let's go, Diet Fiona. He snapped his fingers and stood up. As he stood up, he overturned the table, sending silverware and water glasses flying across the floor. Michael stormed out of the restaurant, followed quickly by Fiona. That's what the rest of the trip went like. Him whining about the little things at restaurants and then getting kicked out. So as a result, they survived on gas station food, hot dogs, chips, and candy bars. After a couple days on the road, they passed a sign saying, Welcome to Death Valley. The pair stared out at the barren sunset. Sun-swept landscape. With an unnerving shiver, Fiona said, I see why they call this Death Valley. What was the name of that trail Diane went on and found that creepy guy? Michael was tapping more and more aggressively at his phone. He looked to the dash screen with a puzzled expression on his face. Something's wrong. I can't get a signal on my phone. And the navigation is acting funny. I swear this is the asshole of the world down here. Why the fuck did they even come here? We are going to have to find somewhere to get directions. Oh, it was called Crystal Falls or Canyon, something like that. They drove for almost an hour and came to a small, old-style gas station with one sun-faded pump in the front. Dingy, dirty windows and peeling white and red paint on the building. A printed sign hung in the window saying, Open. They pulled up to the pump. Michael got out and began fueling the Prius. 
While he was fueling, Fiona went inside to see if they had snacks or drinks or something. After the last restaurant they had stopped at, Michael had refused to stop anymore. He was becoming more and more manic with every mile. The door had one of those old-style bell ringers, so when you opened the door, it rang. Be right there, came a deep voice, deep but friendly-sounding voice from the back room. Inside the store was strange, to say the least. There were taxidermied armadillos in various silly poses. Rattlesnakes coiled with tiny cowboy hats and miniature cigarettes hanging out of their mouths. There were three aisles with what appeared to be mostly outdated dry goods, crackers, sardines, and the like. There was an old-style cooler at one end with a faded, Enjoy Coke sign on the top. She walked over to the cooler and selected two bottles of Coke. They were the old-fashioned glass bottles with pop tops. She'd seen a bottle opener on the side and opened them. The tops made a metallic clink as they fell into the bottom of the opener. Truth be told, Fiona enjoyed this place. It seemed so simple and uncomplicated. Just then, a middle-aged man came from the back. He was wearing a cowboy hat and aviator sunglasses with a mirror finish. He wore a western shirt that was white with a gold checker pattern, Wrangler blue jeans, and, ta and tan cowboy boots. He was a big man, probably at least six feet tall, and a chubby 280 pounds. He tipped his hat and said, Ma'am, with a toothpick tucked in the corner of his mouth. How may I be of service? My friend and I are trying to find a canyon with a hiking trail that leads to a waterfall. He thinks it's called Crystal Falls or something like that? The man cleared his throat. <clears> throat> yeah, I know the place. Good hiking there. And you can cool off by the falls. But you didn't come all the way out here just for that, though, did you? Fiona looked at the floor. No, my boyfriend has this crazy idea. Just then, Michael barged through the door. Fiona, what the fuck is all that? He said, pointing at the Cokes and the couple snacks she had selected. This shithole doesn't take cards. I couldn't get gas. The fuck, Fiona? You opened them? He was pointing at the Cokes. I didn't know, she said meekly. We will deal with this later, he said menacingly. He looked over at the guy. Hey, pal, he said in a sugary tone. I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't have a way to pay for the sodas. I can stop by back after we find an, old, an ATM and take some care of some business with an old friend. You haven't happened to see him, have you? He drives a black Suburban with tinted windows. The man studied him for a long moment. Depends. I see a lot of SUVs around here. What's your friend's name? Oh, his name, uh, Darian. He's probably six foot six tall. Has a bunch of prison tats all over. You know, teardrops on his cheeks. Spider webs on his elbow. He even has a big swastika on his arm. The man thought for a moment. Tell you what, think about it a minute. 
My girl and I need to use the bathroom. Michael tapped his cheek with his knuckles and winked. You know. My name's Hank. Bathroom's around back. Michael led Fiona to the bathroom by the elbow, and when they came back, Fiona had a fresh tear streaks on her cheeks, and her left eye looked swollen. So, you can help me out, Michael said. Hank slid a piece of paper to him. Here's the directions from here to Crystal Falls. Darian should be around there somewhere. He practically lives out there. On the way out the door, dark shadows a dark shadow crossed Hank's face. I hope you find your friend. Something in the way he said friend gave Fiona pause, like he knew the whole story was bullshit. They followed the directions on the hand-drawn map, and after about an hour pulled into a gravel parking lot for Crystal Falls. There was an intimidating-looking suburban parked there. Th this is it! That's his car! I know! Michael said, ex excitedly exclaimed. We are so close I can taste it. I will spray him in the eyes, and while he's choking on the pepper spray, I will knock that motherfucker out. You take the rope and help me tie him up. We'll load him in the back of his own SUV and find a more private place to finish our business. The two got out of the Prius and walked down the trail. After they went far enough to lose sight of the parking lot, they started to realize exactly why it was called Death Valley. The heat was oppressive. Nothing stirred. No bugs. No animals. Not even the wind. As they went around a bend, the temperature got noticeably cooler. There was the falls, a thin sliver of white water cresting the canyon wall and collecting in a pool at the bottom. Huh. Where is he? Michael asked as he turned to face Fiona. We didn't pass him, and there's no way he could have been in the undergrowth without us knowing it. Just then he looked at Fiona's face. Or more importantly her shaking finger pointing past him. He spun around. The biggest man he had ever seen stood behind him as if materialized out of the ether. What's up, fuckface? The man said as he placed a terrible black taser on Michael's neck. See you soon. And Fiona screaming were the last things he heard before the world went black. Can't get enough of the darkness. Head on over to AOHPmerch.com. We have a wonderful, wicked assortment of apparel, art, coffee cups. We've got a whole bunch of stuff over there to fully embrace the darkness with. Head on over to AOHPmerch.com. Check it out. Buy some stuff if you can. Your soul requires it. Also, head on over and check out Foxhound43 on Rumble. He has an exciting mix of horror and comedy as he does live playthroughs 
of uh, video games and streaming. It's very similar to uh, Twitch type of platform. If you haven't checked them out, go check them out over on Rumble. Foxhound 43. Now let's get back into Death Valley for the breaking of Michael. Michael gasped awake. He couldn't move. There was something over his head that smelled like cat piss. His arms and legs were tied to a chair. He realized with sudden horror that he was naked. Hello, he croaked out. Let me go, he shouted. Help, help, help. He cried out at the top of his lungs. It never crossed his mind to call out for Fiona. A sudden swift pain erupted in his stomach. He coughed and realized he'd been punched hard in the gut. That bastard was standing right there, watching the whole time, and then just punched him for no reason at all. Please, he begged. I will give you all my money. Just let me go. The sack over his head was suddenly ripped off, along with a handful of his hair. The man, Darian, it had to be stared at him with unblinking eyes. He started hawking up a glob of phlegm and spit it right in Michael's face. Oh, God, he squealed. What if you have COVID? Come on, Darian, just, just let me go. We can forget this ever happened. The man punched him hard in the face. Darian, left hook, is right hook. Not stomp on his right foot. My name. The last punch was across his nose, and he felt the sickening crunch of bone as his nose broke. COVID is the last of your worries right now, asshole, the man said. Now, why are you looking for me? Look, man, I made a huge mistake. I, I, I just want to go home. My name, for the record, is Damien. And I thought you were a big, tough alpha. Now all you want to do is whine and go home like a little bitch? I don't think so. I'm going to educate you on what an actual alpha is. As Damien said this, he walked over to a little table against the wall and removed a greasy rag from the top of it. He picked up a ball-peen hammer, inspected it, and placed it back on the table. Then, one by one, he lifted and inspected a large hunting knife, the kind Rambo had with a razor-sharp edge and notches on the backside of the blade, an old-fashioned hand drill with a one-inch corkscrew bit, a cordless power drill. Damien squeezed the trigger in the motor word. Michael began to tremble and sweat. Look, man. I will just leave, and we can forget any of this ever happened. I'll just go home. You can go back to wherever, and it's all good, Michael said in a weak and fearful voice. Oh, no. It's far too late for that, Damien rumbled in his deep voice. I hear tell you want to kill me. You want to show me who's boss. Isn't that so? Because I unintentionally scared your whore side piece? 
I've done nothing to you, and you want to kill me. Right, Mr. Alpha Man? With a nod, he reached down and picked up a surgical scalpel, walked over and squatted down in front of Michael. There are three very tender parts on the average human body. The inner arm. He lightly caressed Michael's inner arm with a blade. The bottom of the foot. Michael flinched as Damien pinched the arch of his foot. And the inner thigh. When he said that, he made a long incision on Mike, Michael's right thigh. Michael let out a high-pitched scream as Damien chuckled. Then Damien made a joker cut on each of Michael's cheeks. Why so serious, Damien jeered. Michael was hyperventilating and tears streaked down his face. Now, I have some pressing matters to attend to. But fear not, I have a friend to keep you occupied. There was a little click from somewhere behind Michael. He heard a hissing and rattling sound as the sack went back over his head. Michael felt the warm rush on his lap as he lost control of his bladder. No, 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 you, you can't leave me like this. I'll bleed to death. Come on, man, don't leave me like this. Michael heard a door shut. Time seemed endless. Pain became his companion. His face burned where he'd been cut. His leg had gone numb long ago. Maybe just a few seconds ago, he didn't know. Time had no meaning. He faded in and out of consciousness. The sack came off his head. Michael shook with fear. It's okay, son. We're going to get you out of here. Hank's voice said soothingly. Keep your voice down. That psycho could be back at any minute. Michael began quietly sobbing. Thank you. Thank you. Get me loose. We got to get out of here or he'll kill us both. What about Fiona? Hank asked. Fuck that whore. She can get herself out of this. Michael grabbed an old pair of cover coveralls Hank gave him. Stupid cunt deserves what happens. They snuck out the door into bright sunlight. They ran over to a pickup truck. Shit. Hank cussed. The damn tire's flat. We're going to have to walk. Here, drink this. He handed Michael a bottle of water, which he drank greedily. Come on, we got to go. He followed Hank out into the desert. They walked and walked. It seemed like another form of torture. Hank, Hank, I got to stop. My feet are bleeding. I think they're burned from the sand. Hank looked over his shoulder. It's not going to be much further. Just over this ridge. Over the next hill was a house, an old ranch-style house. You know, old Charlie Manson used to stay at this place. We can hide out in here. Michael's heart was pounding in his ears. He was almost to the house. His feet felt like they were on fire. Hank disappeared into the door. Michael followed him in, and his heart sank. The chair, the table, the sack. It was all there. The door slammed behind him as Hank began laughing. You really thought I was going to help you? 
I've had several nice, long talks with Fiona. Turns out you think you are all big and bad when you take care of Gresham out on a woman. But when it's important, you're just a shitty little man with a small dick energy and a stupid mustache. As Hank finished his diatribe, a heavy thump hit the back of Michael's head. When he came back around, he was back in the chair. Oh, good. You are awake. We wouldn't want you to miss any of this. Now, do you believe it's right to hurt your girlfriend? Hank asked. Women don't deserve anything less, Michael said defiantly. You have to keep them in line or they'll go getting crazy ideas in their head. No, that's not a can-do attitude. Your job as Alpha is to protect the pack, not harm them. We are going to need to correct your thinking. Hank placed a small stand in front of Michael. On top of the stand was a bowl of glowing red-hot coals. Around the edge of the coals were several small finishing nails, glowing red-hot, and a pair of needle-nose pliers. Michael looked around the room, searching for help that would never come. Damien, can you please restrain his hands? Hank said, looking behind Michael. Absolutely. That voice. So much joy in it. Michael vomited all over himself. Damien placed Michael's hands into a, vice, a device that kept his fingers separated and pointed straight out. Four penny nails. One and a half inches long. One thirty-second of an inch thick. Heated. Red hot. We could thank the Viet Cong Army for this little treasure. Hank took the pliers and selected one of the nails. Try not to move too much. It makes it hard for me to do this. As he said that, he plunged the point under the index fingernail on Michael's left hand. The screams that Michael emitted over the next hour rose in pitch and duration until the eighth fingernail, when they faded into horse wheezing. Michael went limp as the last two went in. Michael's mind was a blur. He had no concept of time. Just when he thought there would be an end to the pain, the pair would find a new way to make him suffer. At one point, after asking him if he felt like he was a beta yet, and Michael answering Michael's answering too slowly, he laughed and smiled as, as he drilled a neat little hole in each of his kneecaps with the power drill. Damien prefers to use his fists. It seemed like he had endless energy when it came to administering abuse. Finally, after an, an eternity and an ocean of pain, the door opened. Damien came in and placed two folding chairs on the floor in front of Michael. He could only see out of one eye, not because the other was swollen shut, but because Damien had used a small blowtorch to burn it out. 
The smell of burnt flesh made Michael vomit bitter bile all over. There was blood mixed with the other fluids. Just end it, Michael pleaded through broken teeth. Please, I'm sorry for it all. I'm a beta. Just, just please finish it. Hank and Damien sat in the chairs and just looked at him. Come on in, darling, Hank said to the door. Fiona confidently strutted into the room. Gone was the colorful hair, replaced by a lovely chestnut brown. She was dressed in stylish western apparel. Why don't you show our friend here what you think of all the things he did to you? Please. Feel free to use any of our implements, as we have here. She walked over and looked at all the tools. Her hand hovered over the table. Finally, she selected a lead pipe that was two feet long. He started to protest, but didn't get much out. She beat him mercilessly. He begged and whimpered, threatened and bargained, all to no avail. She finally said to him, I'm not going to let you hurt any more women. You can never hurt me again. My new friends have taught me my worth, and I will make damn sure you never hurt anyone again. She leaned over him and kissed his forehead. As she pulled away, she revealed the hunting knife. Now hold still. This is going to hurt you way more than it's going to hurt me. She reached out and pulled the ends of his mustache. With one quick movement, she sliced them off. Of all of his punishments, this one hurt him to his very soul. Then, almost as an afterthought, she reached down and removed his testicles. As he screamed, she shoved him in his mouth and held his mouth shut and forced him to swallow them. It's time, Damien said as he gagged. It's time, Damien said, as Michael gagged on his own nuts. They loaded Michael into the back of an old Ford pickup truck, drove a long ways out into the desert. When they arrived, there was an old, gnarly Joshua tree standing dead in the sand. A weather-worn rope hung from one of the sturgy, sturdy branches. A rickety chair stood beneath it. Here's the deal. Five miles in a direction from here is the Prius with a full tank of gas, cold water, and your new life as a eunuch. Or a rope and the tree. The choice is yours. Live. Fight. Get to your car. Or end it. They left in a cloud of dust. Michael blinking his one eye in the bright sunlight. As the truck disappeared over the horizon, Michael painfully climbed onto the chair and looped the rope around his neck and stood trembling on the chair, watching the sun go down. As the last rays of the sun dipped over the horizon, 
The chair tipped over. The rope stretched taut. And Michael, the Alpha, breathed his last breath. Okay, we're going to take a little break here, and I just want to encourage you guys to go over to uh, my good friend Spring Healed Jack, his show, Anthology of Horror. Check him out. He's getting ready to do his Oktoberfest. Uh, I don't know what he's calling it exactly, but he's doing 31 episodes in Halloween. He's go- er, for Halloween. He's going to do an episode every day in the month of October. So check it out. He's doing like a year's worth of content in 30 days. Um, go check him out. You won't regret it. If you like this kind of stuff, that's where to go. Also go over there and check out the episode, the man from death Valley. Um, that'll give you a lot firmer grasp of what this story that we're listening to today is about. Go check it out. I'll include links in the show notes for you. Also, while we're at it, don't forget to go over and check out my other show, Dark Side of the Nerd. I just dropped an episode about Michael Jackson, so go check that out uh, for a different take that you might not have heard about why Michael Jackson was so crazy. Anyhow, let's get back at it for the last segment. I hope you enjoy. Epilogue In the weeks that followed, Fiona, Damien, and Hank collected the Prius, placed Michael's corpse in it, drove it out to the edge of the valley where there was an old abandoned mine shaft. They rolled Michael and the Prius in, poured a mixture of gasoline, diesel fuel, and old engine oil in on top of him. With no ceremony or emotions, they each dropped a burning torch into the shaft. The car and Michael burned hot and fast, leaving a smoldering shell of the car and charred bones. The shack where Michael was broken mysteriously caught fire and burned to the ground. Michael never noticed the camera in the corner of the room. The whole time, Fiona watched. At first, she was fearful, thinking she was next. But over the days and weeks of Michael's ordeal, Hank came in and had many conversations with her. Slowly, he assured her that Michael deserved everything that was happening to him. And more. He showed her the tape of Michael abandoning Fiona when the when escape seemed impossible. Hank told her that the scars that Michael left on her needed to be paid for, both the ones on her body and the ones in her soul. An ember sparked in Fiona. Gradually, she became more confident. The old shell of her fell away and she fell madly in love with Hank. On the final day of Michael's fate, it was in Fiona's hands. She was the one that decided to give him a choice to live or die. 
she decided to take his mustache and his testicles. She knew deep down that Michael was evil and that he was a giant coward at the core. Even though it was a choice, she knew that once his favorite toy was taken from him, he would rather die than be an imp impotent freak. In the time that followed, no one showed up to even look for him. They carved out a very nice little life in Death Valley, selling gas and snacks, giving directions to lost travelers, and living life to the fullest. None of them ever lost any sleep over the breaking of Michael. Well now, sometimes when you go looking with dark intentions, what you find is a room filled with pain. And nobody ever said that Michael didn't get what he had coming to him. Anyhow, I hope you've enjoyed today's installment of Demented Darkness. Be sure and check out the other shows on the network. Anthology of Horror, hosted by spring Jack. Foxhound43 over on Rumble with his witty streams. And our newest show, Crypt of Horrors, hosted by Wolf Dan. Check out his first episode. Give him a like and a follow. Encourage him to keep doing it, to keep getting better. Don't forget to check out AOHPmerch.com for all your spooky apparel needs. If you want to send me hate mail, death threats, or encouragement, feel free to send me a private message over on Instagram. I can be reached at the underscore scary with two R's because I can't spell and I'm an idiot. Underscore Jerry. That's the underscore scary underscore Jerry over at Instagram. Let me know what you thought. Also, don't forget to check out Spring Heel Jack's show anthology of horror. Check out the, the source material for this episode if you liked what you heard. Uh, that's what inspired me to write this one. So, all that being said, don't forget, don't let the darkness in. Peace.